Cemeteries are interesting places. Have you noticed that? And while I don't particularly savor attending funerals for somebody I've loved, there are aspects of cemeteries that are actually uh, quite compelling. For example, some cemeteries shed light on history. There's a great cemetery some of you I know have been to off Tremont Street in Boston uh, where you can see Sam Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, and a bunch of other people from that time period and, and later. And then there are other cemeteries like Arlington that are quite poignant where it's hard to do anything but walk around and in reverent silence, giving thanks for all of those who have sacrificed so much. And then there's cemeteries like the Chapel's own Hidden Valley Cemetery, uh, which is here in the village, which is a magnificent place to give thanks for those we love and see no longer, and a wonderful place to reflect and to pray. But it might surprise you to hear that I, over the years, have had quite a few chuckles at cemeteries as well. Perhaps this is because I have done and officiated hundreds and hundreds of funerals over the nearly 20 years of my ministry. And one thing I've done at cemeteries that I always do is I read the epitaphs, what's written on headstones. And some of these headstones uh, you can even find uh, online that have been verified. And I just wanted to share a few epitaphs this morning uh, that, I, that I thought were actually quite delightful uh, that, that are really present uh, on, on tombstones and uh, just Maybe they contain some Easter messaging within them. Uh, the first headstone that I really like, um, might, maybe because I have friends that were dairy farmers years ago, but this one read, reads about this fellow. You know, it reads on the headstone, tried milking a cow that was really a bull. Mil <laughs> milk can is empty, but the grave is full. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's right, it's right, it's, it's right. <clears throat> And as a uh, former psychologist that practiced for 10 years before going into ministry, I really like this one. Here lies the shell, but thank God the nut is gone. <laughs> and, and, and. Now this next one is from a gravestone in 1876 from an auctioneer. And, and I bet you're even going to be able to finish it off. But I'll, I'll, I'll start what it says on the headstone. Remember, this is an auctioneer, died in 1876. And the headstone says, going, going, going. Yep. And here's a gravesite just outside of Rio Doso, New Mexico that I've seen. It says, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. <laughs> and I have just one more I want to share. Ma loved Pa. Pa loved women. Ma caught Pa with two in swimming. Here lies Pa. <laughs> well, I guess cemeteries came to mind these last few weeks because today's Easter and we're here after all, aren't we, to talk about a tomb? Granted, not an ordinary tomb, but a tomb nevertheless. And the tomb that I wanted to speak about this morning never did have an epitaph. It didn't need one as the person who was buried there is no longer there. Now, years ago, I grew up in far west Texas, in El Paso, and we lived in a neighborhood. It was quite an entertaining neighborhood. And one thing, we, one thing about the street that we lived on is there was this long dirt alley that ran behind all the houses. And most of the houses had small fences or rock walls that separated their yards from this dirt alley. 
that ran behind the houses. And I remember one such wall in our neighborhood. It was so tall, and why it was unusual is it was so tall, there was no way you could look over the wall to see what was on the other side of it. As you can imagine, when I was seven years old, my friends and I came up with all kinds of ideas as to what must be on the other side of that wall. We wonder what it is. And most of what we envisioned as seven-year-old boys was not good. In fact, it was quite scary. And, and we seemed to torture ourselves to come up with the scariest image that we could come up with was what must be on the other side of that wall. And it got so bad that we never, ever walked by that wall. We always ran as fast as we could right by it because of all the frightening images we'd come up with. And that is until one day, I don't remember which friend it was, but one of my pals suggested that we figure out a way to get to the top of the wall so we could peek over it. Well, after gathering a bunch of boxes one afternoon, two of my friends and I finally did it. We, we climbed high enough just to be able to barely peek over that wall. And there was nothing scary at all on the other side. It was actually quite lovely. For West Texas, it was amazing. We saw a green grass lawn. Nobody had a green grass lawn. There were beautiful flowers. There was even, even a fountain, water. It was amazing. Now, from then on, we no longer ran past that high wall in the alley. We walked instead of ran as we no longer had bad and mistaken ideas about what was on the other side. We were confident about what was on the side. We weren't worried anymore. Well, today's Easter. And I believe that if you and I spend enough time thinking about Easter and the fact that the tomb was empty and that Jesus bodily rose from the dead, and if we can get to the place of trusting that the tomb was empty, even though we can't see over right now the wall of death, Jesus' resurrection tells us that we have nothing to worry about and we can let go of any concerns any time we come alongside of death. Jesus' resurrection, you could say, gives us a bit of a peek about what is on the other side and what is ahead. And Jesus' resurrection offers us tremendous hope and can affect how we live each day right now and offers us some solid things to hold on to about where you and I and those we love are headed in the future. I love what this one person writes about Easter referring to Jesus' empty tomb. The person writes, The world often offers promises full of emptiness. Indeed, the empty tomb is full of promises for each of us because Easter offers emptiness full of promise, referring to the empty tomb. Well, to help us explore what I mean about all of these things, I want to first, for a moment, just take a brief look at the story, the Easter story, and what happened on that Sunday morning and what happened on the days just before. As we know, on that Friday, Jesus was nailed to a cross and died and by three that afternoon, he took his last breath. A man named Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, Pilate, who was the governor of the land of Judah on behalf of the Roman emperor, Joseph asked if he could have Jesus' body and take it for proper burial. Pilate agreed, and so Joseph and others took Jesus' body and placed it in a tomb. And after they laid Jesus' body in the tomb, the tomb was sealed. Late Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, 
all passed. And then early the next morning around sunrise or just before, some women get up early and went to the tomb. They hoped that some folks would roll away the stone of the tomb so they could go inside it and anoint Jesus' body to prepare it for the long process of decay. But when they arrived, they discovered the stone had already been rolled away. Now, if you read the four gospel accounts of that first Easter morning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice quickly that there's some differences in the accounts that are provided. Clearly, different people who were witnesses focused on different aspects of that Easter morning. But what is intriguing is that the four gospel accounts all share some very basic facts. All four gospel accounts share the basic fact that Jesus' body was not present that Easter morning. There is also consensus that the women were told that Jesus had risen from the dead, and indeed he had. There is agreement that they were told not to be afraid as they would soon see Jesus, so to run and tell the others, namely the disciples, what had happened. We also know from early eyewitness accounts that Jesus did indeed appear to his disciples and others in Galilee, in Jerusalem, and on a road to a place called Emmaus. We're also told that Jesus appeared on a variety of occasions over a period of days to well over 500 people after his resurrection. And while Jesus, is, Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, as those early witnesses attested to, what we don't know is exactly what a resurrected body looks like. That said, we do know that eventually people recognized Jesus' resurrected body and they recognized Jesus as Jesus. As one writer says, the resurrection is not some legend. It is not a symbolic event. It is not something that represents some spiritual higher truth. When Jesus shows up, he says, look at my hands and look at my feet. It is me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. And then Jesus says, do you have something to eat? And in saying these things to those who saw him, Jesus, in essence, is saying, I am not a symbol, I am really here. I'm not just an impression in your mind. I am not just a spiritual presence. I am here. Flesh and bone, touch me. Why are those details recorded? Because they happened. I love what Tim Keller has to write about the Easter story. Here's what he has to say in, in, in adapted excerpts. Jesus' resurrection tells us with certainty that there is a future for us beyond death. It also tells us that the future we have beyond death is deeply personal. We all want to be loved. We want to be with those we love. And this is why Jesus shows up in resurrected form and says, it is me, look at me, it is me. Jesus is personally there in a deeply meaningful, connecting, personal way. And it tells us that the future we have after death is personal. And those who we love are part of it. It's relational. Keller goes on to write, but the future is not only personal but certain. Why do we know this? Because of Jesus' resurrection. And our certain and personal future is love without parting, surrounded by love. And the future is not only personal and certain, but wonderful, unimaginably wonderful. The resurrection means we are going to miss nothing. The world, sunsets, music, mountain beauty, friends, love, are but whispers of a prologue to a grander story that we will be part of. 
J.J. Packer wrote, On earth, people say, I don't want this to end, but it does. In heaven, people say, I want this to go on forever, and it does. Easter and Jesus' resurrection tell us all that we can trust and count on the fact that there's a future when we die, that such a future is personal and relational, that it's astonishingly wonderful, and we can be certain of this because Jesus Christ is risen. What great news. But there's more. I mentioned earlier that the news of Easter is not just about the future, but it is also about how we live right now, today. It is about how we live today with a sense of purpose and joy and confidence. Now, a number of years ago, there was a study done at UC San Diego, University of California, San Diego. It's an intriguing study. And here's some excerpts from an article written about the study. The person writes, many of us go to extraordinary lengths to avoid learning the endings of stories we have yet to read or see. When someone begins to tell us the ending of stories, some of us will plug our ears, for example, and loudly repeat, la, 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 when discussion threatens to reveal the outcome of the story. But a study suggests we are wrong in wasting our time. There's a study that suggests that spoilers don't spoil stories. The article goes on, contrary to popular wisdom, spoilers through research actually seem to enhance the enjoyment of the story. Subjects in the research study UC San Diego significantly preferred spoiled versions of stories. It was shown in experiment after experiment after experiment. And then one researcher was quoted as saying, once you know how a story turns out, it is cognitively easier, it's easier on our brains. You are more comfortable processing information or thinking about the story. And you can focus on the deeper understanding of the story to begin with. Now that quote from the researcher, I love that last line, once you know how a story turns out, you can focus on the deeper understanding of the story. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus' resurrection happened in part as a spoiler alert. So we can focus not only on the deeper understanding of why we were alive to begin with, but so that we can get work to transforming this sometimes very messed up world, knowing that we don't have to worry at all about the future. Said another way, if I know I'm going to be okay in the long run, I can get to work today, much harder today, with all my strength, with all my effort, with all my energy, because tomorrow is taken care of. As N.T. Wright once said, God wants us to work to overcome all the wrongs there are in the world because we know what is ahead. Because of the resurrection, we can be filled with hope, not only for the future, but what you and I can do today. We can trust God, and so therefore we can get to work on God's behalf. You may remember earlier, I mentioned several epitaphs from a variety of gravestones. Some celebrities have some really good ones, too. On Rodney Dangerfield's head, headstone, Rod, Rodney Dangerfield's headstone reads, There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> and then the great Mel Blanc the man who had the great voice for so many Disney cartoons, 
His headstone's quite simple. He says, that's all, folks. <laughs> but there's one that I really, really like. It's on the headstone of Frank Sinatra. It simply reads, the best is yet to come. What a great epitaph, because it reminds us that indeed the best is yet to come. And that beyond this life, there's an amazing, wondrous, and beautiful future for us all. And we can know this with certainty because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so with this in mind, you and I can live each day choosing to make a big difference in the lives of those around us by loving God and by loving people by what we do with hope, with joy, and without fear. Happy Easter! Happy Easter! Happy Easter! Happy Easter. Let's do it one more time. Happy Easter! Happy Easter. <laughs>